This is a Coastal Community Church podcast. For more information about Coastal Community Church, please visit coastalcommunity.tv. Well, good morning, Coastal. How are you guys doing this morning? Awesome. Hey, my name is TJ. I'm one of the pastors here. We're so glad that you're with us. And let me just say, like, I'm, I'm just telling you what, I can't wait for next week because, like, my favorite thing to talk about is relationships, and I promise that if you invite your friends, your family, uh, the person you don't like, you will end up liking them better. And so uh, it's going to be helpful for all aspects of relationships, whether you're married, whether you're single. Man, we're going to be talking to everybody about how do we have really great and really healthy relationships. And so I want to make sure that you guys engage in that, invite your friends, invite your family. We always do it up big when we do a relationship series. And so uh, just come ready and come prepared, man, because it's going to be fun. But we've been in this series called Revolution over the last couple of weeks, and uh, we've really been talking about this whole idea of loving God, loving people, and showing it, because that's really the value that we embrace here as a church. It's kind of been a slogan that we've had almost from day one, is that the thing that we want to be identified as is, is, is the people that is loving God. And not only are we loving God, but we're loving people. And how do we identify that? Because we show it in every single thing that we do. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at some of the, the values that make that up. And the first week we talked about this idea that healthy people grow. And if you're growing in your relationship with God, then you're a healthy person. And if you're not growing, then there's probably something that's wrong with you and your relationship with God. And we need to fix that. And we need to be continually looking more and more and more like Jesus. And then the week after that, we talked about this idea that found people people that have been found by Jesus, that Jesus has found you. You never found God. God found you. He rescued you from the pit, not just so that you can have a savior of this world, but so that you can go and tell other people. We have, we have embraced this value of found people, find other people. And so if you've been found by Christ, it's your responsibility. It's part of who you are as a Christ follower to go and to find other people. And then the week after that, we talked about this idea that saved people, people that have a relationship with Jesus, they serve other people. And so we got to get outside of our comfort zones, outside of of our, our the, the normal, mundane, ordinary living for ourselves and start living for other people because that's exactly how Jesus lived. And then last week we talked about a value that is probably one of my favorite values at our churches, and that's this idea that we do life together. And the fact that, man, it's all about relationships. The, the way that you're going to probably best grow in your life isn't going to be because you came to some service and some guy or some gal got up and blew your mind with some theology. It's going to come from you doing some life with other people who are passionate about Jesus, who are running after Jesus, and you start hanging out with them and doing life with them, and all of a sudden you're passionate about Jesus and you're running after God because you're doing life together. And this week we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and turn in our Bibles to John chapter 12. If you guys want to go ahead and turn your Bibles to John chapter 12, if you don't have a Bible, you can go ahead and look in your worship guide. If you don't, if you didn't grab a worship guide, uh, it'll be up on the screen. I want to encourage you guys, bring your Bibles. You know, the Bible, it's a good book. We should be reading it. And so I want to encourage you guys to bring that. And as you're turning there to John chapter 12, I just want to take a quick survey um, of, of how many gym people do we have? Any gym people out there? Anybody go to the gym? Yeah, this 
First service was def definitely the healthier service because there's a lot more people that said that they went to the gym. So first service is healthy. Second service, y'all are still recovering from last night, so I understand. And, but uh, like I, 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 I was a big gym person growing up. I kind of got out of it. I'm getting back into it. But one of the things that I always found interesting about the gym was uh, the men's locker room. Um, I'm, I'm not necessarily a big fan of the men's locker room. It's always weird in there because, you know, as, as a pastor, I remember I was a part of a gym in Bradenton, and it seems like, like people, guys especially, um, when like you just got out of the shower, I don't want you to come have a conversation with me. That's just weird, and that would always just kind of happen in the gym. You can understand what it is, but one of the things that I found at the gym is interesting things happen in the locker room, and so uh, especially um, with the older somebody gets, the weirder they get in the locker room. Every person that's at the gym knows exactly what I'm talking about. Just, it's just weird. It's like, nothing against it. O older people, you seem to want to be more naked in the locker room. I don't get it. I Keep your britches on. But uh, anyways, I was, I was in the locker room, and, and, and I tried to stay out there. But it, it, at my old gym at the locker room is where the scales were. And so uh, I, was, I, was, I ran in there to, to use the restroom, and, uh, and, and I was coming out. And the, the scales are, like, right in the middle of the locker room. And so um, I, I see this guy. He's, he's going over the scales. Um, you know, he's apparently been working out for a while. He's wanting to check to see, you know, how he's doing and working out. You know, I mean, that's a, that's a normal thing. You want to see how you're doing. And so he's going to weigh himself and, and – totally understandable and so he bends down and he takes off his shoes I mean that makes sense if you're going to weigh yourself like how much do your shoes weigh I mean they always weigh a couple pounds don't they and so like I, like I need every ounce off I want to measure every single ounce and so I, I can totally justify that and so he takes off his shoes I'm like he's going to get on the scale now well he doesn't get on the scale he starts taking off his shirt and I'm like that's you know, I mean, what does a shirt weigh? Maybe five, six ounces. I mean, come on, really? And, and, and I'm like, that's cool. And, like, he probably should have just kept his shirt on. But that's cool. He, got a, he took his shirt off, and he looked at the scale. He started moving the, the weights around, you know, because it's not a digital scale. It's the weighted scale. And so he's moving it around. And then he looks around, and, and he, he, he notices that I'm there, and, and then he drops his drawers. So he's buck naked now. And, uh, and then he gets on the scale, and he weighs himself. And, and I'm thinking to myself, did, did your drawers really make that big of a difference? Um, but this guy got stripped down to the bare minimum to where everything was exposed and was saying, hey, you know what, I want to know exactly where I stand. And today, what we're going to do is we look at this last value of our churches, is we're going to dive in, and we're going to get a little exposed here. Not, not we're going to go streaking in the service or anything like that, but, but we're, we're going we're gonna to open up some areas of life that a lot of people like to keep covered up, and we're going to look at some truth of God's word that's, that's going to probably make us feel a little bit uncomfortable, just like I felt uncomfortable in the gym when the guy did that. But I think that we need to get before God, and we need to open up ourselves and look at ourselves and, and recognize what does God say, and we need to expose some areas of our lives that a lot of times we keep hidden and we keep to the back, and we don't truly uh, grab hold of. And, and the, the value that we're talking about today that I believe that we've got to embrace according to scriptures is, is this value that, man, God has called us to live generously. 
He's called us to, to strip away all the things that, that we think are important in our lives, that we think are so valuable, and say, you know what? The very thing that is the most valuable thing in my life is my relationship with God, and I'm not going to allow the stuff of life to hinder me from getting real before God. And I think that so many times, a lot of people are coming into church, and we've been talking about this over the last couple of weeks, and a lot of people, there's a lot of people who say they're followers of Christ, but are truly just attenders. They're coming to church, and they're sitting here, and they're listening to a message, and nothing is happening, and nothing is changing in their life, but if we're truly committed to following Jesus, that means we're looking more and more and more like him, then we've got to embrace the fact that Jesus lived generously, that God, from the very beginning of time to the very end, God is this extremely, extremely generous God. It's why we look at verses like John three sixteen: for God so loved the world that he, oh, you guys know that verse. It wasn't that he took, but he gave. Well, that's a principle there, that, that God is exposing the very nature of who he is and who he wants us to be, that, that he wouldn't send his one and only son to take from us, but actually to, to give to us. It says that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. God sent his first and his best. He gave his first and his best. And the reason he did that is because God is generous. God is loving and God is willing to, to do whatever it takes to, to bring people and draw people to himself. And so as, as we dive in here today, man, we're going we're gonna to look at what does generosity mean? What does that look like for our lives? And how do we become more and more like Jesus? Because this is what I know about our lives. If we're becoming more and more like Jesus, people are going to identify our life based on the attributes in our life. And so the question I have for us that I want us to answer before we even get started, and we're going to answer at the end, again, is this question of, am I generous? Am I generous? I thought about naming or calling or asking the question, are you generous? But I didn't want you to go and, and go meet with somebody after church and be like, hey, what did the pastor talk about? And you go, are you generous? I don't know. I want this to be an, an internal question that we ask ourselves because it's a question that when we answer it will really expose our heart in relationship to where God is in our lives. And so John chapter 12, verse 1, starting in verse 1, it says, Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus, had, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. Basically what it's saying is, is that like two months earlier, a guy named Lazarus had died, and, and he was dead for a couple days. Jesus showed up on the scene, raised this dude back to life, and so he's saying, man, this is, this is the same place where they are. And it says, there they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary poured a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, <coughs> Excuse me, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii? And given to the poor. This he said, and, and watch this carefully because this is good. Not that he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and he had the money box. And uh, he used to take what was put in it. And, but Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for me for the day of my burial. For the poor you will have with you always. But me, you do not always have. Now, when I read this passage of Scripture for the first time, I, I, you know, it was, it was an interesting passage of Scripture. I mean, it's, it, it's got a lot of truth in it, but there were a couple of questions that, that came to my mind 
when I read this for the very first time, the first one was this, is, is why in the world would Mary give such a generous gift to God? Like, why was Mary willing to give a year's worth of wages of a gift to God? Like, why was she willing to do that? And then the second question I always have is, why was Judas so jacked up about it? Like, why did it bother Judas so much that Mary was extravagant in this thing? And I think that in here it exposes a couple of things. It exposes uh, two hearts within this scenario. And we're going to look at three areas today uh, that I think are really important to us when it comes to the idea of generosity. And the first one is this, is that we've got to understand what the enemy of generosity is. Because the enemy of generosity isn't another person. It's not somebody that's out there. The enemy of generosity in our lives is selfishness. Because our self will tell us, man, that, that, that we're there and we gotta protect ourselves. Man, we gotta provide for ourselves. We gotta, we gotta go out there and we've gotta produce for ourselves. And it's something that's naturally, intrinsically within us because nobody teaches us at a young age to be selfish, do they? Any parents out there, did you have to teach your kid to be selfish? What's like the, one of the first words that they learn at the age of one or two? There's mom, dad, and? You almost have a lot of kids, you know. Mine. It's like, like, isn't, like you've never said that word, but they know it, don't they? And, and there's something about that word that just like pierces your eardrums that causes them to rupture when you, mine mine, 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 mine. Like it annoys you right away, doesn't it? And like you can be a parent and, and I, I hang out with parents all the time and you'll have kids in a room and, and, and you'll hear through the walls the struggle that's going on and what you'll hear is mine, mine, mine. And you walk in there and typically what's happening is, is you have an older child with something and a younger child grabbing that, yelling out mine, 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 mine. And what do you do as a parent? You walk in and say, you give it to them, right? And the older child's like, but, but this really is mine. This is my stuff. And the parent's like, I don't care. That child has stuff of mine too. Just give it to him. Because <laughs> you're tired of hearing, mine, mine, mine. Because nobody had to teach us to do that. Nobody had to teach us to be selfish. It's just a, a natural thing that comes to us without anybody prompting us to that. And God is hoping and God is believing and God is trusting that, man, as you develop your relationship with him, as you grow in your relationship with him, that that, that idea of mine will start to dissipate. In fact, that's why in the very beginning when he, when he started talking about tithes, you know, which, which is a, like a cuss word in church to people because, oh, man, we're starting to talk about my stuff. Don't, don't say that. And, and, and God says this. He said, man, that first 10% of your income, he says, return that to me. There's a reason he says return that to me. You want to know why? Because it's mine. God speaking, saying it's mine. So we want to establish from the very beginning that, man, there's some things in your life that you're selfish about that aren't really yours. And you have two choices. You can choose to return that to God or you can choose to steal that from God. Well, I don't really consider not giving that to God, stealing, but like if that's his and and you have it, and you don't give it to them, isn't that stealing? Anyways, continuing on, I don't want to stay on that too, too long, but 
God is trying to break us of this idea of mind. And, and as I look at this story, I, I think about the, the excuses that, that come out of this story because Judas' Judas's heart is really exposed in this story because he's a pretty selfish guy. And, and the first thing that he looks at when he sees somebody give something extravagantly to God is he looks at it and he says, hey, why isn't that sold and given to the poor? Like, have you ever noticed that selfishness always wants to point to the extravagance of others when they're giving above what the selfish person's willing to give? And say, you know what, why, why isn't that, if you have something really good, why aren't you giving that to God? And, and I see it all the time, man. I sat down with a pastor when I lived in Bradenton, and we were hanging out, and a guy at our church rolled up, and he, he, he had a really, really nice Aston Martin. It was, it was unbelievable, and, and he rolled up in this Aston Martin Vanquish, and it was pimped out. And uh, he walked in, I was like, hey, man, what's up? And, and, uh, and this guy's like, man, I cannot believe that that guy's driving that car. And I was like, why not? I mean, like he's earned enough money to drive that car. What's wrong with him driving that car? Well, he should sell that car and give it to the poor. And I was like, whoa, hold up, wait a minute. I'm about to throw down on your sorry butt. And I said, hold up. You don't know anything about that guy. That guy right there is the most generous person in our church. And, and let me just tell you that his percentage of giving probably is five to 10 times your percentage of giving in life. And so you judge him based on that. But here's the deal. If you really cared about the poor, you go outside and sell your car. And see, when, when we're selfish, it's always really easy to point out the extravagance of others because the extravagance of others is anybody that's further along in life that we don't have. If they've got a nicer house than we have, then that's extravagant. If they've got a nicer car than we do, then that's extravagant. But as soon as we acquire that, it's not extravagant anymore, is it? It's just normal. Because extravagance always wants to point to the other person instead of looking back. The selfish nature always wants to point to other people instead of looking back and saying, God, what are you calling me to do? And right there, that's, that's Judas's excuses. He's trying to focus, put the focus on other people instead of looking at the reality of his own heart because the reality of his own heart was the fact that, man, Judas was, was sitting here. He was in charge of the money box. He had all the finances that he needed and he was looking at himself and saying, man, what can I get out of this deal? Man, how can I get some more out of this business deal that I've got with Jesus where people give him stuff and, man, I take that and I take care of it by slipping it in my back pocket. Because Judas's idea of the kingdom of heaven is, is what can Jesus do for me rather than what can I do for Jesus? And my question to us is, is how often are we living for God in the essence of God, what can you do for me rather than God, how can I help serve and build your kingdom? I figured there'd be a lot of amens right there. But that's, that's the message that's being preached. God, you just come and you do everything for me. And, and man, God does reward people and God does bless people. Don't get me wrong. That's, that's a part of God's nature. But if that's the reason why we're doing it, then we're missing the reason. We're missing the point of what it's all about. Now, what I find is really interesting in this, this passage of Scripture is the fact that, you know, Judas is in charge of the money box and the dude's a thief. Um, like that blows my mind. Like, did Jesus not know that that dude was a thief? Like, that's like, I just want to sit down like, Jesus, seriously, did you not know that this guy was a thief? I mean, why would you put this guy in charge of the money box? I mean, why would you put him in charge of all the finances of your ministry? I mean, what was the point of that? Like, why would you give him that kind of responsibility in an area where he was so challenged individually? Because it says his nature is, man, he just wanted more for himself. That's why he would later on sell Jesus for 30 pieces of silver because he just wanted more in life because of a selfish nature. And I was looking at that and I was, I was thinking about that. And 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, no temptation has overtaken you except such that is common to man. 
Selfishness is pretty common to us. He goes on to say, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but that with temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. I find it so interesting that Jesus would give Judas the responsibility in the area of his greatest weakness. And I think that Jesus did that is because he knew that our greatest weakness for the majority of people was going to be in our finances. And he wanted to say, can I trust you in the area where you need the greatest growth in? Are you willing to do some things differently in the area of your greatest struggle? And he didn't put it there so that he would fail. He put it there so that he would overcome. And in fact, that's what that scripture is saying. He's saying, listen, God's going God's to allow some things to happen in your life, not so that you can be tested and fail, but so that you can overcome those things. Because how can God ever trust you with true riches if you can't take care of earthly riches? If you can't take care of your money, how are you ever going to take care of a promotion at your job? If you can't take care of your finances, how are you ever going to take care of the authority that God wants to give to you? If you can't take care of your finances, how are you ever going to take care of the people that God wants to send in your life? See, God today is trying to prepare you for your tomorrow, but it's all about the test that he's giving you today. And some of you guys, you're being tested, particularly in this area, because for a lot of us, this is our greatest test because we're selfish. We're selfish. We want what we want and how we want it, and we want it now. And I'm no different, man. I want it now. But God is testing us to see, man, can we overcome the enemy of generosity? Second thing there is the extravagance of generosity. It's the extravagance of generosity. I, I, I find this so interesting that, that Mary had this oil of perfume of spikenard that was worth a year's wages. I just, that just blows my mind because if you think about that, what is a year's wages worth? You know, what was that worth in that day? And, and I, you know, I, I don't know, but I know what a year's wage is worth, is worth here today. It, they say the average person in Coconut Creek, uh, the, the median income is about $52,000. So this lady like dropped 52 grand on Jesus. Like that's a pretty extravagant gift. I want to know, was like that perfume like crushed diamonds or like, solid gold, you know, droplets that are liquid. I don't know what, what, what was that, but it started asking, making me ask a question like, what's an extravagant gift for God? Like, what would be an extravagant gift that you could give God? Would it be like $100? Would that be extravagant? And somebody just like, yeah, right, you know. Um, would it be $1,000? Would it be $100,000? Would it be a million dollars? Would it be a billion dollars? I mean, what would be extravagant to God, what could be the kind of gift that you could give to God that would be extravagant? And, you know, and, and then I start remembering who God is and, and what God has and the fact that God's streets are paved with gold. And it says the, the wall that is on the outside is 1,380 feet high made of diamonds and rubies and other precious metal. And the gates are, are pearl. And, like, what could I give God that would be extravagant? Like, what could I give God that would be like, beyond that, he would go, oh, my gosh, that's unbelievable. Like, that blows my mind. Like, I could have never gotten that myself. And you think about it, and you're like, there's, there's really, there's no amount of money or stuff that I could give God that would, that would blow his mind. But I think there is something that would impress the owner of the universe. And in 2 Corinthians 8, 3, and 5, it says, For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing 
imploring us with a much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Not only as we had hope, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. And I think that there's something that's key in there that, that is the very thing that you can give God that would impress him, and that is they gave themselves. The thing that can impress God about your life, the most extravagant gift you could ever give the creator of the universe is your life. It isn't your stuff, it isn't your things, it isn't your abilities, it's your life. It's saying, God, my life is completely and fully surrendered to you. That is the most extravagant and the greatest gift that we could ever give God. But here's the deal that a lot of people don't really like. What is attached to us is our wallet. Because Jesus clarified that the, the greatest thing that we could give to God is ourselves, which is our heart. And, and he says, man, where your treasure is, where your stuff is, where your money is, that's where your heart is. And that's why generosity is such a big deal to God because he's saying, listen, it's not about percentages. It's not about those things. It's about, man, I want you to be fully devoted to me. I want your whole heart, every ounce of your being to be succumbed with just wanting more of me, not of wanting more stuff in your life. And as I've been studying giving and, and things over the years, I've learned a lot from a couple different guys. I've learned a lot from a guy named Randy Alcorn who, who wrote a book called The Treasure Principle. I've learned a lot by Andy Stanley. Uh, he wrote a book called Fields of Gold that's absolutely unbelievable. And then there's a third guy that I've read of, a ton of, and his name is Robert Morris. And uh, he wrote a book called The Blessed Life that's actually blown my mind when it comes to finances. And one of the things he said and that I've discovered as I've studied it is that, man, there's three levels of giving in life. There's, there's ties. There's offerings, and then there's extravagant gifts. All throughout Scripture, you see those three levels of giving in people's lives. There's, there's nothing else. It's those three. And, 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 and extravagant gifts are, 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 not, are not just just this story. I mean, you could look at when David was going to build the temple, and God said you couldn't, but he stored up treasure. It said he had acquired about $21 billion dollars in finances to build the temple for the Lord. Uh, Solomon, when he became king, made a thousand sacrifices. I mean, that's pretty extravagant. And it's not just extreme wealth that's extravagant to God because Jesus said when he saw the, the widow who gave two mites, that that was extravagant giving. And then you see Abram, who's, who was gonna sacrifice his son. That was extravagant giving. And all throughout scripture, you see extravagant giving. But most people never get to extravagant giving because they never get to the first level of giving which is just returning back to God what's already his, which is called tithing. See, it's, tithing isn't giving. See, this is a big misconception in church. Tithing is returning. God says, return to me. Have you not stolen? You can't steal something if it's not yours to begin with. And so tithing, in fact, in the American church, they say somewhere between 5 and 7% of people tithe. But this is what they found. The people that they get to that first level, that 5 to 7%, they always move to that second level. They always move to the level of offerings because what happens is when you start trusting God with your finances and you return those things back to him, all of a sudden the devourer is rebuked. All of a sudden, you know, the floodgates of heaven are open and, and the blessings of God come out on your life. And, and that's a benefit to trusting God is that God blesses your life. Not, not like, God bless my life, then I'll trust you. Because that, I mean, that's the method I would prefer. Anybody else with me there? Like, God, you bless me, then I'll trust you. But that isn't really how he works. It's never how he works. He said, man, put your trust in me, and then I'll take care of the situation. But very few ever get to the level of extravagant giving. 
I had a, a, a guy about maybe a year ago. Um, man, God radically transformed his life in our church. He was, he'd been in our church about a year, and uh, God was just doing some, some crazy things inside of him. And, and I remember he came and he said, man, I feel like God's put it on my heart to, to give uh, this this amount of money to God. Like, I just feel like this is what God's told me. I don't have any clue how I'm going to do it. Like, I'm just trusting God, and I'm going to start giving towards it, and I believe that God's going to do this thing. And and when he told me the amount, I was like, I was blown away. I was like, dude, are you serious? Like, like my faith was a little tested. Like, I don't, I don't even know that you could do that. You know, but it isn't about me and my faith. It was about him and his faith. And he said, man, I'm trusting God, and I'm going to step out, and I'm going to do this. And, and he started doing that, and uh, and all of a sudden, man, it was absolutely incredible as, as he was doing this because he started trusting God. He started, he, he gave his gift, and, and all of a sudden, like a month later, um, he got a raise at his work that was uh, two and a half times the amount that he had given to God, um, which is absolutely unbelievable and first and foremost. And then within six months, I was talking to him, and he was telling me, you know what? Since last year, I've doubled my income since I made a commitment to God because when we start getting extravagant for God, what God does is he rewards generosity. He rewards generosity. And uh, this scripture that's, that's in there is in this story in Mark chapter 14 is the same story that we read in John. And, and I'm just going to jump in at verse 8 because it's, it's basically the same story, but it just continues it on a little bit. And, and I love this because Mary gave this extravagant gift to Jesus and, uh, you know, laid it all out there. And I love what Jesus says. He says, she has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will be told as a memorial to her. And I look at this story and I look at the contrast between Mary who had this extremely generous heart that did every single thing that she could to be generous to God, to be thankful to God. And then you have the contrast of of. of Judas, who was like, man, God, why, why, how can I get some of that? Like, it was nothing about that. He was at the complete opposite end and was selfish. And I started asking myself, man, why in the world did Mary have this, this extreme generosity? Why was that so prevalent in her life? And I think it's because she had a change of perspective that Judas didn't have. Because two months earlier, when her brother was dead, and was dead for a couple days, and Jesus showed up, everything changed in his life. Because that dude was dead and all of a sudden he was alive and he's sitting across the table from Jesus eating two months later who was dead and is now alive. And all of a sudden her perspective on God and how great he is and how big he is and how good he is, she said to herself, man, how can I not give it all to God? And some of us, we forget the lives that we used to live, how bad it was, how broken we were, how purposelessness we, we, we had. And we forget the perspective of change. When Jesus came into our life and he came and changed us, maybe not necessarily changed our situation, but started changing us from the inside and our, our perspective on that situation changed and our, our outlook on life started to change. And all of a sudden our circumstances started to change. And all those things started to happen. The way we should respond is with a grateful heart which is exactly how Mary responds here with this gratefulness of like, man, God, you've done so much, man. How can I not give you my very best in life? The most valuable, the most precious thing that I have, man, it's yours. Not just in lip service, but in action. 
And that's a powerful, powerful thing. And the, the reality is, is that this sermon today, what Jesus said is that, man, because of the generosity that she showed in this, in this whole little passage here, it's going to be told forever and ever. It's going to be a memorial to her today. And so today, the, today's sermon, you know what it is? It's the reward of her generosity. Her name is still being made famous because of her stepping outside of herself and giving it all. One year's wages. We never know the impact of what our generosity is going to do in other people's lives. When she gave that, she didn't even know how important that gift was because Matthew 26, 12 says, said, for in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. See, what Jesus knew is that he was going to die on that Friday, which was going to be their Sabbath. And because it was their Sabbath, it meant that they could not go and prepare his body for burial. They couldn't put the oil, they couldn't put the spices, they couldn't wrap him up. All they had to do was toss his body into a tomb because they were not allowed to do that work. And he knew that, that this sacrifice that she gave, this generous gift, this extravagant gift that she gave, was for a purpose that she would never even comprehend or understand until it happened. And we'll never know and understand the extent of the gift we give until we give it and see it play out in somebody else's life. That's why Hebrews tells us in, a, in chapter 11, verse 6, without faith, without faith, it's impossible to please God. See, that faith element is, is the part that we all struggle with because it takes faith to step out and be extravagant when you don't know how you're going to meet the end of the month. But this is what I found. Extravagant giving isn't about stretching your budgets. It isn't about stretching your finances. It's about stretching your faith. Because without our faith, it's impossible for us to please God. I love what the rest of the verse says. It says, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I want you to circle that word rewarder because it's, it's a really interesting word. It's the only time that it's ever used in the Bible. In fact, if you were to go type that in Microsoft Word in your computer, it would come up as not a word. It would have the little red squiggly line underneath it saying, this isn't a word. Because we don't even recognize rewarder as a word. But the two Greek words here that you guys could really care less about, but I'll tell you their meaning anyways, um, the first one is this, is it, it means to hire or pay wages due a person. The second word there means to give extravagantly over and above what a normal person would deserve. See, the reward isn't something that God just does. It says that God is. God is a rewarder. It, that's like his very nature. That's the very essence of who he is. It's not just an action that he takes. It's the very nature of everything that he does. And so when we trust God and we give to God, you know what God's going to do? Naturally, he's going to reward us. And I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel here. I'm just preaching the truth of God's word. The fact that he says that like, hey, if you give, you're going to get rewarded. I can't help it. Like I can't change that. That's what it says.
But this is what I know, that we don't ever trust, we'll never experience reward. And we don't give to get a reward. We give because we love God. Because we trust God. Because it's the very nature of who he is and we're trying to become more and more and more like his son. A couple of months ago, I had a, had a, a couple come to me and they're a newly married couple and and how many of y'all know when you're in your first year of marriage, if you've been married, like your first mar- year of marriage, you're broke. Uh, broke, as a, unless you come from a wealthy family, which they didn't happen to come from. And so they're broke as a joke. I mean, they're rubbing two nickels together to hope to get a penny. I mean, that's, that's like where they were. And so, uh, but they had this, out of nowhere, they had this windfall uh, uh, of cash that, that came from something. Uh, I don't re- really remember exactly what it was. And I remember the husband coming into my office and said, man, I really feel like God is calling me to give this away. And I'm like, you don't have to come to me to get permission. Uh, like if God's calling you to give that away, give it away, whatever that means. Be generous. And so he said, okay. And so this couple, they went out and uh, there was a single mom in our church and they really felt like God said, go give that woman all that money. And, uh, and so they went and they gave this, this single mom all this money and they left and uh, the next day, that single mom called them up crying and said, I want you to, I don't think you know this, but I want you to know something. What you gave me yesterday, like, has been a really rough month for me. And uh, if I didn't get that amount of money, I was going to lose my house. And my child and I were going to be out on the streets. And that was the exact amount of money that I needed. And so they're like, holy crap, that's amazing. God, you know, like, they're like, that's our reward. Like God just provided miraculously through us because of what God prompted us to do and to live generously. And, and I wish I could say that's the end of the story, but that's not the end of the story because uh, a couple months later, he was going in for his review at his job. And um, as he was there, uh, he got a monthly raise in the same amount of that one amount that he gave. You want to know Why? Because God is a rewarder of generosity and extravagant giving. And here's the deal. I don't want anything from you. I don't want your money. Listen, if you don't believe this, go give it to some other church. I don't care. This is what I do know is that God will do what he says he'll do. I want something for you. I want you to experience the fullness of God, which is your life fully surrendered to him, which is getting rid of yourself and going fully after God. And for some of us, that's going to mean that we're going to have to leave our security and grab hold of our Savior today. And he's going to recognize that, you know what, today is not a day that we're going to continue to just go after our own stuff, but today is going to be the day that we go after God. And the reason some of us get real apprehensive when it comes to messages on finances and giving and our stuff is because we don't believe that God is the source of everything that we have. That's the real issue. Because if we truly believed he could save us, then we would truly believe that he could take care of us. And so today, I just want to challenge you. As a church, let's not... Let's not go and be selfish people. Man, let's be the most generous place on earth. You want to know why? Because our Savior is generous. Let's pray.
This is a Coastal Community Church podcast. For more information about Coastal Community Church, please visit coastalcommunity.tv. Thank you.